Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. It is my great privilege and honor to have as a special guest today, Leah Sparks, CEO and co-founder of Wildflower Health. Leah, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, Leah, for the benefit of our listeners, tell us briefly about Wildflower Health, the company, its evolution, what got you started on this, maybe a little bit about your background as well. Yeah, sure. I started this company about seven years ago when I was pregnant with my first child. And at the time, I had worked in healthcare for about 10 years. I'd started my career at McKesson and then worked for a startup that was sold to a big PBM. And so I knew the healthcare system from the business side. But I realized that when my husband and I started a family, I had never really had to navigate it firsthand. And I was really appalled by how difficult it was as an actual healthcare consumer. Every encounter that I had outside of with directly with clinicians, but with, you know, navigating my health benefits, determining which hospitals were covered, where to deliver. I had some high risks navigating those. It was fraught with a very low-tech, transactional, not consumer-friendly experience. And I contrasted that with what I was experiencing as a pregnant woman consumer shopping for strollers and registering for my baby shower and thought, if we can bridge this gap, we will not only really enhance the experience of healthcare, but we can also move the needle on quality and outcomes. Because as you may know, maternal health is not as good as it should be, just like most categories of health in the United States compared to our peer countries. So that was the original inspiration. However, I always knew we didn't want to just start and stop with pregnancy, but we did start with a focus on pregnancy. And over the years, we have found that it's more than just starting a family, that when people start families is often when they enter the healthcare system, when people become really engaged in healthcare, and we've begun to focus on what we call the chief health officer of the home, who can be anyone. It is often a woman, the data would tell us, and we now use our technology to help her navigate healthcare, not just during pregnancy, but across a variety of ages and stages in a way that is deeply connected to the healthcare system. So it's not a direct-to-consumer experience, it's a healthcare integrated experience experience using technology to make healthcare better and, and move the needle on outcomes, which we can certainly share more about how we do that. Thank you for that background. Now, your company would be what we term today as a femtech company, if I'm not mistaken. Your background and what led you to start the company is very typical of a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to who see a need that comes out of a personal experience of some kind. Uh, did you also see this to be a marketplace need? And if not, what marketplace need were you trying to address with this idea? Yeah, I will just say a word about Femtech, which is the, the Vogue term right now for women's health technology companies. And I guess I would just say that, yes, women are the primary users of our platform. But if women are making 80% of the healthcare decisions, they are influencing the whole population, right? They are, it's right. not just about women. It's a cascading impact on a range of, of people and almost like a, a different way to think about population health, right? But to get to your question about the marketplace need, today the marketplace need, I would say, is about engaging women as this chief health officer of the home, and particularly our health system clients who see this firsthand in their patient interactions 
completely get that. But at the very beginning, and, and I would say, since you're a lot of what you talk about on your podcast is about how do we get digital adoption, you know, I would say at the very beginning, we focused on a very narrow use case that we knew could get adoption in the healthcare system because it was so simple. And I think this is a theme that we see in digital transformation, that it often has to start with simple use cases and grow from there. But in the beginning, seven years ago, our very focused use case was helping health plans, the people who pay for care, whether it's Medicaid, commercial, or employers, helping them more quickly identify and intervene in high-risk pregnancies, which can cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars, intervene on those as quickly as they can to move the needle on medical costs. And we proved that we could do that by using a digital solution to engage women every day, identify risk faster, get them in the right care with their OB or with a nurse or a care manager. We reduced rates of preterm birth and NICU admissions. And so that was a very simple use case that could get a simple one-year ROI that could help us grow from there. So I think it's important to have both the aspirational vision of engaging women as the chief health officer of the home and having a different way to engage your consumers and population, but also have some simple use cases that can help you get started with what are often skeptical healthcare purchasers. So who are your primary customers today? Who do you work with? Is it mostly health plans, health systems, a combination of both? Where do you see the response being the most positive and encouraging for your solution? It's a great question. You know, in the first three or four years of the company, it was exclusively health plans, both Medicaid and commercial. And then a few years ago, we started getting interest from health systems, especially as we extended our model beyond maternity into a broad range of women's health and family health. And the health systems were interested, not just because they wanted to have a great experience for maternity, but because they wanted to have loyalty, lifetime loyalty with their patients. And so today, we work with 20 large health plans. Our contracts cover about 50 million covered lives. And then we work with, I don't know the exact number of health systems, but a lot of health systems that encompass about 130 hospitals and their affiliated outpatient practices. So today, about 60% of our customer base is payers and 40% is providers. And what's really interesting about that is that there are synergies between the two. Because from a woman's perspective or family's perspective, they don't want to navigate health plans separately from their providers. And on our technology platform, we can bring the two together so that a woman in Seattle can seamlessly go to her OB and get access to an application that helps her navigate her delivery, but can also pull in her health benefits and resources. So those are powerful use cases, which make us really excited that we've been able to straddle these two historic silos and not only work with them both, but help them work better together. Just one more question on the split between the health plan and the provider side of your business. Did one naturally come about as a fallout of the other? In other words, did your relationships with health plans kind of naturally lead you to the providers through those health plan relationships, or did it develop organically and independently? It was really the latter. It was organic and independent. I think it was more about the product capabilities. And at the time, you know, our very earliest health system clients, you know, our first client was Dignity Health, who literally cold called us and was interested in our product and surveyed the market and thought we were the best fit for what they were trying to do. So it really was organic. But then over time, you know, particularly in the past 18 months, our clients on both the health plan and the provider side have begun to become really interested in how they work together on our platform. So it's been an interesting evolution. 
That's great. First of all, congratulations on all the progress that you've made in a relatively short time. And of course, it's a fast-moving marketplace. There's a lot of companies out there in the digital health space, you know, broadly speaking. So environment of proliferation of digital health programs and interventions, how do you actually build a business case? How do your customers decide which ones have merit, in other words, and how do you actually go about establishing the business case with your clients? Who pays? Well, the health plans and the health systems license our software. It's a software as a service business model where they pay licenses to get access to it. And, you know, I do think, you know, the risks are high in healthcare. It's hard for healthcare to, to experiment on things that don't have a obvious ROI. One of my board members, Aaron Martin from Providence St. Joseph Health, has a great comment that he says a lot in our board meeting is that for digital health companies to be successful, they need to have a, a short story and a long story. And the short story needs to be, how do you save money or make money using my solution in 12 months or less? And then the long story can be more aspirational, more strategic. How are you going to survive in healthcare in the future? And our short story um, has been pretty successful. On the payer side, you know, really focusing on the opportunity to reduce costs in maternity. About 20, based on our analysis, about 25% of the dollars we spend on maternity care go to excess costs due to complications, about 70% of which could be prevented or mitigated or lowered in some way. And so we have a, some really nice case studies with clients showing that they're saving up to $40,000 per high-risk woman who uses our platform, which is really compelling and, and helps tell that sort of very obvious business case. And on the health system side, we have some really, again, they really think about this as a lifetime loyalty family health program. Mm -hmm. And for health systems, we've been able to show across dozens of hospitals through this application have a higher return rate to their system. So they are more loyal over the first year after they use our product. You have higher rates of return visits for a variety of things, whether it's pediatrics or adult health or even tracking family members that they've added to our platform that they're bringing back to the system. So that creates that short-term ROI. But I would say in both cases, both in our plan clients and our provider clients, you know, there is still a long story of needing to transform how they engage with their target consumers, their members, their patients, and how are they going to be relevant in the future of healthcare? Right. And uh, Aaron Martin, who we mentioned uh, earlier on, has also been on my podcast. And I do recall this comment that he made about the short story and the long story. In fact, a related comment that comes to mind also is what Mike McSherry of uh, Zelt, which is also Providence uh, Ventures portfolio company, he mentioned that for digital health solutions to be successful in today's marketplace, they have to be, quote unquote, doctor prescribed. In other words, you know, you can't go directly to a, a consumer and expect them to adopt a solution which is not tried and tested or proven or recommended or evidence-based or any of that unless the doctor prescribes it. Do you sort of agree with that? Has that been your experience as well? I agree that is the ideal state. It's not always possible, right? It's hard for health plans to get all of their physicians to prescribe solutions to their members. We are working with that, and we actually partner with Zelt on these types of things. But I completely agree, and it's something our company is really focused on, is how do we get integrated into the clinician-physician workflows and make our technology available there through partners like Zelt and, and in other ways. And I think what's more, you know, there have been a number of companies that have tried to be healthcare companies but have direct-to-consumer brands. And that has really been a struggle as well. We've done a lot of research on 
women in particular, who tell us that they want to obtain digital health technology that's truly connected to healthcare through a channel that they trust and a brand that they trust. And they don't necessarily trust all the array of consumer health brands out there. But if their clinician, their doctor, or even their health plan tells them something and sends it under their brand, they are going to have a a different level of trust and expectation of that technology. So I think it's critically important, but it's a, I mean, it's a huge challenge given, you know, that many outpatient practices are just trying to survive in the current environment and how are they supposed to be seamlessly recommending technologies to all their patients. So it's, it's definitely a challenge. And you mentioned trust, and I think uh, this is uh, the importance of trust cannot be overstated in the context of healthcare because the relationship between the doctor and her patient is uh, a really special one. And my understanding, again, you've seen the data in a lot of digital health companies. You go back a few years, started out with a B2C model and didn't really work, and a lot of them have pivoted to B2B models. Uh, in healthcare, it's more like B2B2C, some would say. And uh, part of that is uh, because the trust factor is not something that you can simply bypass and uh, go directly to the consumer. And digital health interventions at the end of the day are complementary to trusted relationship between trained and experienced and qualified physician and the patient uh, or the healthcare consumers. Now, when you look at your own journey, what have been the biggest challenges to adoption and growth for for your own solution? Well, I mean, I think it's, I mean, the healthcare system, even when you have a pretty open and shut ROI, like we have, and even when you build a good base of clients like we now have, it's still slow. I mean, people are slow to make decisions. Again, the stakes are really high. There's a lot of security requirements. It's just, it's a sluggish industry. And there's lots of reasons why some of that is acceptable because it is risky to introduce new technologies to patients and your clinicians. But some of the sluggishness is just the fact that we have very large institutions making decisions and that sometimes it's just unnecessary bureaucracy. But, you know, I think that's something that every single digital health company, except for the few that may be trying to go to consumers who have a whole another set of challenges will face. But I do think that is the biggest challenge. One thing that has changed in the seven years that I've been at this, and I feel like we were on the sort of first wave of of digital health startups and have now matured a bit as a company. I do think that healthcare systems and plans have become more willing to take a leap of faith. They feel the pressure even more than they did seven years ago to embrace digital, especially great digital experiences for the patient. I do see a little bit more risk-taking and willingness to experiment than I saw seven years ago. It's hard for me to quantify that. I just, I sense it and see it in the meetings that we have. I'll share a little bit of research that my firm did. We kind of have a maturity model for digital health adoption and digital transformation, if you will, among health systems. A vast majority of health systems are still kind of focused on their electronic health record systems and whatever they can get out of it before they go out and do something more innovative. But there's a lot of health systems at the other end of the spectrum, the leading health systems. I agree with you. They are setting aside budgets. They are experimenting. They're in many cases making investments in some of the promising startups and getting invested in the success of these uh, entities, which I think is very encouraging. And to your point, with all these long sales cycles and so on, you do need that support uh, so that you can sustain and uh, continue to grow while you build out your footprint. In that context, I want to ask you earlier, where do you see 
the big electronic health record systems, which kind of dominate the marketplace, at least as far as providers are concerned, and the big tech firms, the Microsoft, the Googles of the world, where do you see them relative to your own success? Do you rely on them? Do you compete with them? Is it both? Can you talk a little bit about where you fit in the broad scheme of things? Yeah. So on the EHRs, we do integrate our solutions with EHRs in that you know we will pull data. We are beginning to take data and show it on top of the EHR to like OBs before our first appointment. The EHRs are incredibly important. They are like the scaffolding for our future digital transformation for healthcare. I would caution thinking of EHRs as consumer engagement. It is not consumer engagement, right? It is an amazing, when done well, an amazing transactional infrastructure. But there still needs to be a consumer layer for the healthcare system that puts it in context. If you look at the Wildflower apps, they look more like Instagram or Facebook than they do a patient portal. You know, they have articles and images and you can scroll through them and they're personalized based on reading variables in the EHR. So you don't have to go look and see, oh, I had this test result. What does it mean? It can be pushed to you and say, hey, you had a positive gestational diabetes test result. We're going to start sending you reminders that aligns with your provider's care plan to check your blood glucose every day. So it's translating it and making it personal for the user which is very a very different and important use case than the EHRs offer. I think the challenge for our business is not competing with the EHRs. It is just the distraction within health systems who are spending so much time trying to get that right, which they understand may often they need to do first. They can't get to the last mile, which I would say is putting a consumer layer on top of it. As it relates to the technology companies, you know, I think that they're all trying to figure out what their big play is in healthcare. And of course, they've been doing this for years, right? I remember Microsoft Health Vault, which has now been sunset, and Google Health. I think they're still figuring out the model. They're probably closer now than they used to be. But And we would certainly love to collaborate with big tech companies, but I still see them a bit sitting on the periphery and figuring it out. And they have a lot of smart people who no doubt will figure it out. And of course, Amazon's making a lot of headway there. So it'll be, I think, I'm hopeful that the, some of these most innovative tech companies we have in the country, I also Apple, will bring something really important and meaningful and transformational to the healthcare system. I think they're well poised to do it. Yeah. You mentioned last mile solutions. And I'll actually go one step further and I'll say that healthcare really has a last mile problem because there aren't enough last mile solutions, but there's way more of the technology platforms, all of whom are waiting for solutions to be built on top of that, like the Wildflower Health of the world. Clearly, digital health companies such as yours, you're differentiating yourself through better user experience. So this whole notion of human-centered design to build out the user experience, that is something that uh, digital health startups have really taken to heart and seem to be doing an outstanding job of. Of course, you need the back-end integrations with the EHR systems to get real-time access to the data and so on, which brings me to the other question about data, really. Is your experience for your customers driven primarily through traditional data sources, or have you also figured out incremental and additional data sources that you can creatively combine with some of the traditional data sources to drive the experience? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so today our experience is driven by a combination of what the user tells us about ourselves and what we can read when it's available from 
the EHR and then other data sources. So we are currently expanding the level of data that we integrate through other partners. In an ideal state, we would be able to pull in labs and pharmacy data and claims data in addition to EHR data when it's available. I think it's important for people to understand with EHR data that you know, even where we are integrated with the EHRs, not all the patients have signed up to use it, right? We maybe have half the patients authenticating to pull it in, and the EHR is only associated with that current provider. You can't get, if she's a brand new patient, we're not going to have health history. So you really need, if you're really going to use healthcare data, you've got to work with a variety of sources. But don't underestimate the power of user data. The data we can get from trackers, from what women are clicking and tapping on, what her mood is, other things like that, you cannot get in any conventional, traditional healthcare data source. And so we really believe, truly have a personalized consumer experience. It's a combination of what we can read when it's available in the healthcare system and what she's telling us, either directly because she's answering a question in our device or tracking something, or just by what we can detect. What images does she like the most? What articles does she read? Which articles does she click like on? And that combination, we think, is really what true personalization looks like in healthcare. And we're certainly not there yet, but that's the journey we're on at Wildflower Health. That's a fascinating story. Well, what would you like to see? I guess this is my last question for you. What would you like to see from healthcare organizations to accelerate the adoption of digital health innovation? You've talked about the sales cycles, and I don't know how much anyone can do about that, but what's your top one or two things on your wish list, if you will? Oh, gosh, it's a great question. I think the number one thing on my wish list would be while I get it every, and, and I, I want to, I mean, my clients, the people who work with Wildflower, I have so much respect for. They put their neck out in their organization to work with a young, innovative company. And it's not easy to do that. I've been in their shoes and I've been in a big company. So I really applaud that. And I completely understand that you have to fulfill what Aaron Martin calls that short story, that one-year ROI. But I would really encourage the healthcare system as a whole, not to lose sight of that long story. Where are we going? What is the opportunity here? What does an amazing healthcare experience look like that is not siloed, that's not transactional, doesn't make me feel like I'm just a cog in the wheel, right? That's personalized. That's as good as what I experience when I go on Pinterest and I know exactly what I want to see in my, in my feed. And to really have that vision as an industry is something that I think we're all missing, including, you know, many of the startups. And it's hard day to day when we're slogging through just trying to, to get to the next step. But I think that that's something I would really encourage us as an industry to continue to really envision to accelerate this transformation. That's fantastic. Well, Leah, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. and I greatly appreciate the time that you've taken to, to talk to us and look forward to following your company and all success to you and your team. My pleasure, Patty. It was great to be here. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.